All right, thank you musicians. Y'all did a great job today. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians. Turn with me there to chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. Please keep your Bibles open this morning. We'll be looking at some other passages in the Old Testament this morning for illustration. But I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter number 6 with me to begin with. The last several weeks, probably over a month now, I've been preaching on the subject of bitterness. And this should conclude that series as the Lord leads. And, and I'll be honest with you, this has been probably uh, one of the most difficult messages for me to ponder, meditate, and prepare for uh, because of uh, the subject, I guess, of maybe a fear of being misunderstood by some uh, young people, that is, not necessarily those who are grown. But I want to uh, deal with the subject today in Ephesians chapter number 6. And again, it's about battling bitterness in the home. This will be the third part uh, in that part about being in the home because I am convinced that that is where the seedbed of bitterness lies is within the parameters of our family life and our home. A lot of things happen uh, around uh, family and uh, that, that really can scar or mark uh, someone. And if they do not handle it correctly, uh, it can impact them for the rest of their days. And so I want you to look with me in Ephesians 6. I believe that I have the mind of the Lord here and pray that I do. Uh, my desire is to be a blessing to you. I think you know that by now. I, I want to, to help you. Uh, I, do, I just don't like going to church just to be sermonized. I, I want, number one, to have a message from the Lord. But if I'm attending church, I want to hear something that will help me uh, to be a better Christian. And if I'm not a Christian, that it will help me to know how to become a Christian. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to deal with a very sensitive subject, and it may probe down deep into some of your lives that may be some areas where you have buried some things, uh, but we're going to do our best to try to help you and your walk with the Lord and to please Him. This morning, I want to preach on overcoming a bad parent. Overcoming a bad parent. Look with me in Ephesians 6. And verse 1, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And your fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you read the New Testament, you know that the book of Colossians is very similar to the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we have here the possibility of children giving themselves to wrath. Wrath is really the fruit, and the root is bitterness. And in the book of Colossians, he expresses it like this. He says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So we're going to examine these scriptures and then I'm going to give you an illustration from the Old Testament and then we're going to try to draw some conclusions on how to overcome 
a bad parent. Now listen, you do not determine what a bad parent is. The Bible determines what a bad parent is. And this narcissistic, self-loving society, if a parent happens to say no to a child, they think that that's a bad parent. Amen? So we're not going that direction. We're not going that route. We're going to use the Word of God to help us find the balance so that our conscience is clear before God to know that we're right as a son and a daughter and to know that we're right as a mother and a father. So, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, help me now, I pray. Again, I ask you to use me. Lord, I I am dependent upon you and upon the Holy Spirit. uh, And I pray that as I speak on the outside, that you'd speak to them on the inside. And the Lord, we want your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look with me, please. In Ephesians 6 again, verse 1 through 3, I want you to see, first of all, that we have a reasonable and righteous expectation that are given to children. When I say children, you know, there's something about marriage that is to last, uh, you know, a lifetime, but it's not a lifetime relationship. Because you probably were 18, 20, 25 when you got married, so you had 18, 20 years that you did not know the person that's beside you now. But being a father and a son, you don't get to choose who your parents are. And you don't get to choose who your children are unless, of course, you adopt them. But I'm saying that according to the scriptures, one of the lifetime, really, relationships is uh, father and son and mother and son, father and daughter and mother and daughter. And so that's a lifelong relationship. And sometimes those relationships can go up and down, of course, based on some things that happen. But according to what the Bible says, when it uses the word children, sometimes that can refer to someone that might even be 12 or 13 or 14 years of age. It doesn't necessarily mean somebody that's 5 or 6 or 7. All right? But you'll notice it says children. We have a reasonable and a righteous expectation given to all of us here uh, to be obedient to, to our parents. Of course, we know that tie is severed when you become an adult and you move on with your life. But while you're at home, if you're at home and you're putting your feet under their table and you're sleeping in their bed and you're eating their food, then you still, I think, should be very obedient to your parents. And the Bible says here, children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. All God-given authority has its limitations. All of it. Government, a church, family. It all has its limitations. All right? But it says, uh, in the Lord. He said, uh, for this is right. If you're a young person in this room tonight and you've been asked or told to do something and it is the right thing to do, the Bible says it's a pleasing to the Lord that you just do it. That you don't argue, you don't ask why, you just obey your mother and your father. It's always right to do what is right. It's well pleasing to God. And he says in verse number two to honor your parents. I believe that means being respectful. Your parents are not your old man and your old lady. Your mother and your father. It's still good to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. We have grown children in our home that are in their 30s and 40s, and they still say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, to their dad and their mom. And I think that's the right thing to do. Honor, being respectful, being responsible. At some point, you've got to learn to brush your own teeth. Amen. 
and being responsible and, uh, and also just being righteous, just doing what's right. You know, when your parents are not watching, you honor them when you choose to do what is right when no one else sees you except your buddies and your friends. And it honors, it honors your parents when you choose to do what's right. But look in chapter 6 and verse number 4. We have reasonable and righteous expectations that are given to children. And we have reasonable and righteous expectations that are given to parents. The parents are to provide a balance uh, in that home. You agree with that? Okay. And it says, your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now we have several words that are used in the New Testament here about children, about parents, their responsibility. That word nurture, that means you are to educate, instruct them things that promote their growth and their maturity and their development. That's nurturing them. And then there's that word admonition. You are responsible to give them counsel whenever they're at fault and they're doing something that's actually hurting them or hurting someone else. You admonish them. You caution them. And you gently reprove them and help them to get back on track. First Thessalonians, Paul wanted to use the parent and child relationship to express his relationship to them as a preacher and a church member. He uses the word exhort. He used the word comfort and the word charged. He said, we exhorted, we comforted, and we charged every one of you as a father doth his children. That word exhort means that you motivate them in a good direction. You comfort them. That means when they are depressed and discouraged that and troubled, that you come along to strengthen their minds and their hearts and help them to keep going. And that word charged, it means that you, with authority, place responsibilities upon them that are reasonable and right. And you teach them how uh, to ride the bicycle without you holding the bars. And yeah, they'll have a few wrecks. And you teach them how to ride the bicycle without training wheels. And I'm using that, of course, as an analogy that they've got to grow up at some point. And you charge them about their responsibilities. So, parents, especially fathers, are to avoid provocations in the home. Now, I know that mothers as well do this. But the emphasis here is on the father, so we'll stay in that direction. But you know as well as I do that sometimes it includes the mother. The parents are to avoid. This is reasonable and right. He says, fathers provoke not your children to wrath. This is These provocations are the things that produces bitterness in the heart of a son and a daughter. There are several words used here. The word wrath. When, I, when, when, when a father does things that provokes their child to wrath. The word wrath is violent anger. Violent anger. Did you know that sometimes some fathers, I suppose maybe some mothers, are entertained by provoking their children to anger and to wrath? Have you ever had a a puppy 
and you like to maybe hold that puppy and hold its nose and listen to it start to growl, and you think it's funny, and it is, and then but sometimes you hold it a little bit too long and he gets so angry that he actually bites you. And then you spank him for biting you when you're the one who provoked him to the violent anger. And so what happens in a home sometimes is a father sometimes can do certain things that actually provoke a child to say and do some things. And then the father winds up punishing the child for his reactions to what the father has done. And the Lord says, don't do that. Don't do that. The Lord's never going to provoke you and I except the good works. The Lord's going to provoke us to good works and and, and He does not provoke us to wrath. And that word anger, that's a violent passion of the mind with a propensity for vengeance. The word discourage is the one I'm concerned about. Did you know that a father and a mother can bring great discouragement into the heart? Maybe some of you grown folks are thinking back about your parents and you've tried to bury those feelings and you've tried to just leave them alone. You don't want to visit them. I understand that. If God's given you the ability to overcome it, then praise God for it and you've just forgotten about it. Praise the Lord for that. But let me try to help some folks today that have not. And when that word provoke, it means that it it can be a positive or negative reaction. depends on what you're doing. But he says you're to provoke not to arouse to a particular emotion of anger and incense them and enrage them and discourage them. And when you discourage a child, he's not talking about the fact that he just went off somewhere and he's hanging his head. He's talking about the fact that that child no longer has confidence in himself or in life. He's disheartened. He's demotivated. And you've helped in some way to help him to think that he's just a loser. Because of the things that you say and the things that you've done, you've implied to him or her that they'll never be anything and you've convinced them of that. And some of you have had to overcome that and God's helped you to overcome that of some things that your parents have put into you. Not every parent's a good parent. Just as much as not every wife is a good wife, not every husband is a good husband, not every parent is a good parent. I've seen good children come away from bad parenting. I've seen bad kids come away from good parenting. It bumfuzzles me sometimes, to be honest with you. It really does. But overall, good parenting, overall, generally, will produce most of the time decent children. And the other side will produce bad children. But I want you to look with me in Ephesians 5. Let's look at this in its context and let's use an illustration in a Don't get very personal with you here. You know I like to lay a biblical foundation and then we get personal. In Ephesians 5, look with me here please if you would. Uh, Verse number 17. Do you believe that God cares about you and your family? Do you believe the the family is a foundation of the nation and the church? Oh, I believe that. I really do. You believe that sin has broken families apart? Oh, Yes. That's why this passage is talking about here about the need for the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. I want you to think as our brother taught in Sunday school, Brother Boyd did a great job in Sunday school, and he talked about the 49 good characters of Jesus and the 49 bad characters of the flesh. And so it is here in the book of Ephesians, when he talks about something that you should be doing that's good, that means you're probably doing something that's the opposite of that. 
Notice in verse number 17 he says, Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That is control by consent. A wine bottle does not attack you. A wine bottle has to be picked up and put to the lips and you are consenting for its control over you. The Holy Spirit desires to control you, but He is waiting for you to yield yourself and want Him to control you. Alright? Verse 19 says, again, now he starts talking about the family. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip over a few verses. We could talk about them another day. But you'll notice he mentions to the wives. Why does a wife need to be filled with the Spirit? Because it's not in her carnal nature to have to submit herself to her husband. So she needs the Holy Spirit to help her to submit to him and to obey him and to give him reverence. The flesh does not like that at all. You need the Holy Ghost to help you with that, and He will. And then He tells the husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Don't be self-serving. Learn how to love your wife as Christ loved the church and initiate that love and illustrate that love. And then He talks about children. Children obeying their parents. You'll notice that when a child is born and as they begin to grow and as they begin to get out of their diapers, even before they get out of their diapers, they start going their own way, doing their own thing. They'll even lie to you while they're laying in the baby bed. They'll lie there and they'll kick and scream like somebody's fixing to take their life and you show up and they just stop because all they wanted from you was your your attention. Not that they needed anything, but as they grow, They're going, you don't have to teach a child to do what is wrong. They would automatically begin to walk in their own way. They are by nature the children of wrath and children of disobedience by nature. If the book of Genesis says that the Lord said and looked down upon man and saw that even from his youth, his imagination was evil and corrupt. And so it is with all of our children. Some hide it better than others. Some control it better than others. But you'll notice he says in chapter 6 verse 1, he says, now to all the children here, what is God's will for you while you're at home? What, what is God's will? You don't have to worry about right now if you're going to be an engineer, if you're going to be an evangelist, if you're going to be a missionary. Right now, God's will is for you to obey your parents. Obey them. Obey them. And so the other side of that, of course, is is to disobey. And it is our nature to do that. And it's like, you know, you see the sign that says, don't walk on the grass. And the first thing you know, somebody's walking on the grass. It says, don't touch this, don't touch this. And the next thing you know, they're touching it. And so you're going to need the Lord to help. Can the Holy Spirit help a child? Absolutely he can. If Samuel can go and serve the Lord in a bad place, As a young child, so can you. Look in chapter number 6 there, but notice what he says to the fathers. He said, fathers. He said, "Um, provoke not your children to wrath, which implies to me, the other side of that is, is that it's, it's easy for a father to get angry, frustrated with a son or a daughter who might be acting out or 
maybe not mature as fast as they thought they should, or maybe they embarrassed him, whatever, something. However, God lays it upon the Father to be the one who shows what is right. I'd be, I think it's unwise to spank your child when you're angry. Because usually you're just self-serving yourself and your anger at that point. You need to cool down a little bit before you apply some discipline upon a child. But the Bible says, provoke your, do not provoke your children to wrath. So you're doing something that is provoking. And I want to, I want to say right here, let me back up just a minute and say something about the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want this to be a focus on the family message and where that Jesus is not talked about. I want you to understand something here about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into this world as the express image of the Father. You agree? And He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And He came to taste death for every man. And the Bible says that He came that we might have life and that we might have life more abundantly. Jesus is not only good for eternal life, but Jesus is good for everyday life on this earth. So when we talk about the earthly life, do you remember the first time that Jesus started his public ministry when he walked into that uh, temple as was his, uh, uh, his pattern of doing things, his custom? And he went in there though one day after he had started his ministry at the age of 30 and he opened up though that Bible that Old Testament scripture, and he read that scripture where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. And the Bible says, he read that whole passage, and then uh, he told that whole crowd, he said, Today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he said his goal in being filled with the Spirit, I want you to think about the mind of the Spirit, the working of the Spirit, the desire of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. He says, He has set me to heal the brokenhearted. The home is where the heart is going to be broken the most often. Most of us did not come from a descendant of this generation being Christian, this generation being Christian. Most of us are not second and third, fourth generation Christians. Many of us are first generation Christians. If you are a second or third generation Christian, praise God for you and the fact that you have continued to carry that torch and you've passed it on to the next generation. Well, we need a whole lot of folks like you. We really do. Thank God for you. But a lot of folks that come in those doors, they don't know how stable your life is. They don't know how what normal is. They really don't. And so when they come to church, they're counting on their pastor, their Sunday school teacher, or whoever is ministering them in the church to help them to figure out what is normal. Because God is having to change the way they think and what they do. Jesus said he, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So this morning, I want you to know that if you've got some bitterness in your heart towards your mother or your father, that the Lord Jesus Christ can heal your heart. He wants to heal 
that heart and deliver you from being a captive to that and to help you and set you at liberty though you have been bruised in this life. Do you understand? This is the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you a few things. I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel real quickly. Chapter 13, I'm going to give you an illustration and then some principles and then we'll go to the house. 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Overcoming a bad parent. I think you could entitle this message, Burying Bitterness Before It Buries You. Not everybody has a good father and a good mother. Though you may do your very best to honor them, respect them, Sometimes it's still a weekly or a yearly struggle for you. I think about, when I think about somebody who had a bad parent, one of the first guys that shows up in my mind in the Old Testament is Jonathan. Jonathan was a great guy. And his guy loved the Lord. And he loved his dad. And he had godly friends. David was his closest friend. And buddy, he knew how to fight. He was a warrior. God used him to deliver Israel from time to time. He trusted the Lord. Boy, he had a a dad that kind of, you might say the wheels come off the chariot for his dad. His dad was, was Saul, the first king of Israel. And Saul, Saul was a good, seemed like a good guy as long as he was small in his own sight. But pride destroys many of our homes and destroys many of our hearts. And we do things, listen, Dad and Mom, we do some things that are unwise because of the pride that comes into our hearts. But overall, Jonathan had a narcissistic dad who was envious and jealous and insecure. who humiliated him publicly. Talking about the father provoking the son, who cursed him one day and cursed his mother in front of him. And yet this young man still was loyal to his dad as best he could be. And one day even his dad, for the sake of his own, quote, personal kingdom, was willing to sacrifice the life of his son. You know that there's some dads who care more about their kingdom and their money and their, 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 the things that they accumulate than they do their relationship with their own sons and daughters. He was one of those guys. He was willing for, for Jonathan, read the story, to die in order to protect his kingdom. There's some fathers that are like that. It's all about them. But I want to talk about another guy. I want to talk about a guy by the name of Absalom. For just a moment. Did you know that David was a great guy? You know, you've got David mentioned in the Bible, second only probably to Abraham and Jesus. You've got the book of Psalms written by David. He was a great psalmist. He was a great warrior. He was a great worshiper. He was, a, he was called a man of God. But I'll say something about David. You know, there's some good things about people that we can see, but sometimes what you don't see behind the scene is they may not be good parents. And David was not a good parent. 
Now, you see, you may not be the best parent in the world. doesn't mean God still can't use you. But there's going to be some consequences of bad parenting. Do you understand that? If we all had to be perfect, God would never use any of us. Amen? All right, now I want you to look in 2 Samuel 13. All right, let me give you some things real quick, but most of all I want to focus on the answers. In 2 Samuel 13, Absalom has grown into a, a young man. His father's name is David. It's a mixed up household. He's got several stepbrothers. He's got a sister named Tamar that he loves dearly. Different mothers, same dad. You don't get to choose that as a boy, do you? You don't get to choose that. You just don't. So you make you do the best with what you got. And here he is. But what happened one day is that Absalom has a sister named Tamar. Let's read verse 1. I'm going to just read part of this and go on. came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And that was her half-brother, step-brother, whatever you want to call him. And uh, this is uh, an unusual... This was not love. Love does not take. Lust takes. It defines itself at love, but it just takes. It doesn't give. And lust usually turns into hate, and it did. Verse number 2 says, Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister, Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So his conscience is restraining him from making a move toward his half-sister. But Amnon had a friend, had a cousin, Cousins can be notorious for passing down their sexual education. Whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. So he pulls him over and said, hey man, what's the matter with you? He said, oh man, I got feelings for this girl. And he says, oh listen, I'll tell, you how to, I'll tell you how to get her. And so he lays a trap, they lay a trap. They do get her into the house alone. She is unassuming. She's thinking nothing. And girls, you understand, you don't know how boys think. Boys know how boys think. Dads know how boys think. And you need to learn to trust some leadership in some of these areas. So wind up by herself with Amnon. He rapes her. And then leaves her hanging. Has ruined her life. It will be a mark on her for the rest of her life. There are some things that happen in the family environment that cannot be undone. When you crack an egg and it falls on the floor, you can't put that back together. You cannot unscramble eggs. It's not Disney World. It's not a fairy tale. You can't go back and undo some things that are done in a family. You've got to move on with life, however. Well, Absalom, by the way, this is reported to David as a father. The Bible says in chapter 13, verse number 21, it says, And when King David heard all of these things, he was very wroth. 
But did you know that David didn't do anything about it? So what you have here is you have abuse and injustice occurs in the family realm and dad is doing absolutely nothing to bring justice to the situation. Absalom sees the effects upon his sister and so he plans to get even. There is a root of bitterness that is planted deep in Absalom's heart and it is aimed toward his brother Amnon who two years later he subtly lays a trap for his brother and he kills him. And then a few years later, he's making another, laying another trap because not only is he angry with his brother, but he is angry with his dad. I think in his heart, he's thinking that his dad could, number one, because listen, when he saw his sister Tamar was brokenhearted and something would happen to her immediately, he said, did Amnon do this? He perceived that David did not, but David should have. And so he's angry about this. And now he's blaming his dad for what his dad did not do. Now he's angry. And it lays in his heart. And Sometimes things happen in the past back with parents and maybe even now that I know nothing about but you do. And in your heart you know that, that maybe there's some anger and some bitterness in your heart. And so what are you going to do? Well, I'll tell you what Absalom did. Absalom didn't do the right thing. He did everything wrong. He lays a trap. He lays a trap for his dad. And listen, he is even interested not only in destroying his dad's, uh, uh, you might say, reign as king, but he also is willing to take his dad's own life. You know, you've got to be in pretty bad shape if you want to kill your father. That's a lot of hate. That's a lot of anger. But it goes back to what he did because he's seeing his sister. Matter of fact, he eventually had children of his own and he named his daughter Tamar after his sister. And there's just sometimes that family have a hard time forgiving things that linger and the fruit of that lingers for years and years in the family. You're reminded of it every day. And things are broken. I'm not going to leave you in the valley of despair here. On this, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that he did the wrong thing. His motive was to punish his father as well, and the bitterness brings him to an early death. I think that Absalom could have eventually been king had he just humbled himself and waited on God. But yet, he took matters into his own hand, betrayed his father, ran his father off the throne, started a rebellion, then wound up that. He wound up one day with all that beautiful hair that he had hanging in a tree. You read the story. Wound up getting caught in a tree with his beautiful hair. And David said, listen, guys, I know he's hurt me. I know that he has. And I know he hates me. He says, and I can't undo what has been done in the past. He said, but don't kill him. Joab said, I'm going to take care of him. But he said, and he took darts and threw them into his heart while he was hanging in that tree and killed his son. You know what David's response was? Even though, even though Absalom had killed one of his own sons, and even though Absalom had run him off the throne, and even though Absalom was after his own life, when he saw and heard that Absalom had been killed, the Bible says he went out there on top of his castle there, and they could hear David throughout the city wailing and crying. And, and listen, I think it's some of the saddest words in the Old Testament. 
he cries out, Oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom, would I had died for thee. The guilt that David felt. And he understood Absalom's bitterness and his anger, but he could not remove it. He could not extract it. And I just want to say to you that if your parent has tried to reconcile with you, or vice versa, and you don't get that thing fixed, you're going to wind up dying before your time. Bitterness is unhealthy. And so I want you to look at this passage. I want you to learn something. Listen, bitterness in the heart of a son can cause him to do some very, very crazy things. How many of you ever heard of a guy named Bernie Madoff? Raise your hand. Well, a few of you have. Bernie Madoff executed one of the biggest fraud schemes in American history. He did a Ponzi scheme with stocks and, and uh, bonds and things of that nature, over $50 billion scam. Well, when it began to unravel, he had two sons. And he went home one day and told his sons, he said, boys, this thing's fixing to unravel. His boys worked for him. And they loved their dad and they respected their dad and they, they thought the world of their father, that all of this was wonderful. He had not told them that he had been a liar and a cheat and a scam and had ruined some people's lives to get where he was. And he went home and he told them, what he had done. His sons immediately called the authorities and turned their own father in. But it wasn't but just a few months later that his oldest son went home and hung himself in shame of what his father had done. Fathers, I'm telling you that you can dishearten and discourage your children by your own decisions and choices and actions and discourage them. Take the life out of them. So yeah, you're not, you're casting a shadow. What you do matters. I want to encourage you. How you talk to their mother, how you treat their mother. You want to encourage your children? Love their mother. Treat their mother well with respect. Do not provoke your children. Now, one of the greatest enemies of all of us as fathers in provoking our children is our hypocrisy. They see it. We may not see it, but they see it. It angers them, frustrates them. What are the lessons to be learned here? There are lessons to be learned. You can overcome bitterness. You don't have to live with it, and you don't have to die with it. I want to say, first of all, the lessons to learn is this. Number one is do not become a lifelong victim of a bad parent. Now, there may be some scars, but do not let those scars be a wound. What is the difference between a scar and a wound? A scar is something that has what? It's healed up. What's a wound? It is something that continues to pour and continues to have to be addressed, continues to have to have medicine placed upon it that requires attention on a regular basis. A wounded spirit 
who can bear? A wounded spirit, who can bear? You may have some scars, but don't let it be a wound that just continues to run in your heart. Do not become a lifelong victim. Everyone has some issues in their life somewhere in some area that has to be overcome, some worse than others. But I I promise you this, some of you who have not had the blessings of several generations of believers, and I do thank God for you, man, I praise God for you, but some of the things that you've gone through are actually going to make you stronger in some areas that other people don't have in their life. It's made you stronger in some areas. I think about Jephthah. Do you know who Jephthah is? Do you know that you're supposed to know your Bible well enough that when your preacher mentions a name, you know what he's talking about? That he doesn't have to always go back and say, here's who I'm talking about. If you want to cut my sermons down to about 20 minutes, read your Bible a whole lot more. (laughs) Jephthah was an Old Testament judge. He became a hero. But you know what happened to him when he was a boy? He found out that his mother was a harlot. He found out growing up in the house that he didn't have the same mother that his brothers did. And his brothers found out about it. And when he got older, they said, hey, we don't want you part of the family inheritance. Get out of here. And they called him, you're just a son of a harlot. That's all you are. What can you do if your mother is a whore? Has been one or was one or a prostitute, or a heart, whatever word you want to use. People don't want to hear Bible words anymore. They're offended by Bible words. What are you going to do about that? I'll tell you what he decided. He decided that he was not going to be a victim. And later on, when they kicked him out, war came, trouble came to Israel. And this young man, whether it was because of whatever motivated him, he became a strong young man. He became a leader. He became a warrior. And they said, you know what? We know, we know. Those brothers said, we know who can lead us and win this battle. Jephthah. So they had to go and eat crow and apologize to him for the way they had treated him and said, hey, we want you to lead us. He says, if you want me to lead you, he said, when this battle's over, I'm going to stay the leader. And he said, they said, okay. All right, we accept that. And he did win the victory. And he did become a leader. And he became the judge and delivered Israel from the enemy. He became a hero. Regardless of the background of his mother, he became a hero. Quit using your parents as an excuse or a parent as an excuse for who you are and what you are. Do not be a lifelong victim of a bad parent. Number two, avoid people who feed your feelings of frustration and anger and hatred toward your parent. Do you know there was a guy that got up beside Absalom and counseled him to kill David and he just fed his anger and it was Ahithophel. Ahithophel was, was uh, what's her name? Bathsheba's grandfather. And he hated David for what David had done to his family. And so he counseled him. He said, man, go get him. Kill him. 
He did not know that Ahithophel had other ulterior motives. I'm just telling you, sometimes people can come along beside you and really put fuel in your heart toward your bad feelings uh, toward your mother or your father rather than helping you to overcome it. And your anger, someone said, I think it was William Ward said, it is wise to direct your anger towards problems, not people, on answers and not excuses. Number three, avoid bitterness lest you become like what you despise. Absalom was ashamed of his father. He did not take care of an immoral situation in the family. Did not restrain his brothers. And it blinded him to all the good that was in David's life. He could not see the good, any of the good in his father anymore. And bitterness will do that to you. It'll get to where you can't see. Did God forgive David? You know what? Sometimes we won't accept somebody's confession even though it is contrite. But God does. And we refuse to forgive what God has forgiven. We want our ounce of flesh. We want judgment now. We want to feel it. And Absalom, now listen, read Psalm 51. David was brokenhearted over some of his actions. Read Psalm 32. David was chastised severely for his sins. But it didn't touch Absalom's heart. He said, I don't care how much he suffers. I want him to suffer more. You feel that way towards your mother or your father? You got to let that go. You got to let it go. Because you'll wind up becoming what you despise. You'll become, you'll become more like them. So I don't believe that. Well, I'm just telling you. Would you listen to your pastor for a moment? Listen, what happened when he talked about immorality and doing something that is shameful and something that is unjust? You know what Ahithophel told Absalom to do? He said, I'll tell you what. He said, your dad did something in secret. Why don't you do something in public? Why don't you... Uh, Go out there in front of the public and, and get a tent. Put it out there on top where everybody knows what you're up to and bring in your father's concubines and his wives and lay with them so that the public knows what you're doing. And Absalom did so. And he became what he despised. He became an immoral, ungodly young man and grieved the Lord. You must get rid of this lest you become like what you despise. If you are a grown adult right now and you're struggling with this, if you hear your wife or your husband say, you know what, you're becoming more like your dad, you're becoming more like your mom, and they know that you don't want to become that, the only thing that's going to help you with that is the Holy Ghost. you got to get that root out. Number four, you've got to accept God's time of judgment upon those who have hurt you. And God works slow because He's very long-suffering and patient. 
And number five, let's go back to the New Testament and we're done. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. This is a lot of, this is, this is, um, you can see why it, it wasn't easy to put this message together. I've had to look over a lot of things, meditate on some things. What about this, Lord? If you're a, if you're a, if you're a serious student of the Word of God, you hold court in your mind and heart when you're studying and you, you say, Lord, what about this? But Lord, what about that? But Lord, have you considered this? But Lord, you said this over here. Lord, this don't make sense over here. Lord, why didn't you do something over here? And so you have to work your way through all of that to come to the conclusion of bringing something out that would help you in 2022. Look over here in Ephesians 4, please. Look at this. We're talking about Jesus. Can Jesus help you? We sing a lot of songs about, I must tell Jesus... I must tell Jesus. You believe that? The Bible says in Ephesians 4, look at this. He says, verse 30, Now bitterness grieves the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, all bitterness, and wrath and anger and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. You say, well, Brother Roger, I will when they ask me for forgiveness. Can I ask you to do something that Jesus did when he was hanging on the cross and he looked at that crowd and he said Father forgive them for they know not what they do you say well that doesn't fit my situation let me encourage you with that principle then you initiate the forgiveness you get the poison out of your well you get it out of you regardless of what they do, you initiate the forgiveness. And you can in your heart, by faith, get rid of that grudge and say, Father, because it pleases you, because you want me to, because I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't feel like doing this, but I want to obey you. Lord, I choose in my heart to forgive my father. I choose to forgive my mother. I choose to forgive my uncle or my aunt. God, I don't want this in my heart and I don't want that wound in me. I want you to heal it up. I want you to fix it. I don't want there to be bitter water coming out of my mouth. I don't want there to be this in me. I want to be like you and I can't do this by myself. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I want to say to moms and dads here who might be guilty of some of these things, It would be wise on your part if the Holy Ghost speaks to you that you would initiate some humility and sit down one day with your son or daughter and they still may be raw with anger and frustration or whatever. I don't know. But I'd initiate it and I'd sit down and say, look, I'm sorry. 
I did, I did not know how to be a good father or mother, and that does not make me innocent. But I want you to know that I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And let's go forward with this thing. I pray that God would help you this morning, that you would not let the root of bitterness ruin your life, that you would cut your life short. Don't die a miserable old man and woman because of what somebody else has done. The Holy Ghost help you and change you by His power. Jesus came to heal the broken hearted. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We're not going to have an invitation this morning, but I do want you to listen carefully with me right there. I want you to deal with some things right there in the pew. I want you to be honest with me. Please be honest with me. Nobody's going to come to you and bother you. I promise you that. With our heads bowed, would you be honest with me and look into your heart and say, Brother Roger, the Lord spoke to my heart today about some things. I want you to pray for me. Would you raise your hand, please? Thank you. Hands going up all over the building. May God humble you that you'd say, I need some help. Thank you for being honest. And I know some of you may be too ashamed to raise your hand. I don't know. But I do know this. God blesses humility. And when we humble ourselves, if you're, a, if you're a father and a husband, you want to save your home, you want to save your marriage, humility will be the key. Pride that will destroy every home in this building if we allow it. Contention cometh only by pride. I refuse to blame my father and my mother for my weaknesses because Jesus said he would help me in my weaknesses. My Father, I love these people. I've labored this morning from a heart of love over them. I pray for them. I pray for every father and son relationship in this room. I pray for every mother and son relationship and every father and daughter relationship. Every mother and daughter relationship. God, I pray that you'd root out, God, the bitterness in their hearts. There's no doubt some parents might even be blind to some things. I pray, dear God, that you'd deliver through the power of the Holy Spirit some of these dear children. And I want to pray also for some parents that maybe they might humble themselves and once they've gone to their children, spoken to their children, that they would also forgive themselves and move on. I pray to Almighty God that you would just do a mighty work in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen.